Now, this is a, a rather lengthy passage. Uh, I have tried to extract what I could out of it so that um, I wouldn't have to read the whole thing. So I, stay with me. We're going to start at verse 1 of uh, Genesis 41. And, uh, and I'll tell you where to change when we get there. We're going to read first, the first 16 verses. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed, in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, plump full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told him his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief, me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with his own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Now skip over to 33. Now, therefore, and by the way... uh, Pharaoh rehearses the dreams again, and Joseph interprets them. We pick up at 33. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years, and Let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. 
This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his in his second chariot. And they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus, he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah And he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. The grass withers. The flower fades. But the word of our God. That endures forever. You know, guys, one of the, uh, the great objections that the non-Christian world has to Christianity is that they think, they, they believe that we Christians believe some stuff that is pretty far out, pretty, pretty goofy. And, um, and it's, not, it's not only the intellectual elite that feel bad about us. Uh, I mean, pretty much the, the common opinion is that those Christians, they, they believe some, some pretty strange stuff. And, and I see their point, you know. Uh, I'm somebody who believes that a dead man got up out of his grave and walked out. I also believe that a young teenage Galilean peasant woman got pregnant by the Holy Spirit. You know, I, I, I also believe stories like this, that one day Jesus calls Peter aside and says, Peter, here's what I, want you, here's what I need you to do. I need you to go fishing. And uh, in the midst of your fishing, uh, the first fish that you catch uh, take the fish out, and there's going to be a coin in that fish's mouth. And uh, you, you, you get that coin out of the fish's mouth, and you, it'll be enough to pay your and my's temple tax. I believe that. <laughs> and, and I believe a whole lot of other stuff just like that. I mean, maybe not just like it, but I, I believe a lot of stuff like that. For example, this story that I just read you, I, I, I believe that. Do you, do you believe that story? You know, one of my heroes um, is a guy by the name of Gresham Machen. Machen. Yeah, you might not have ever heard that name, He's, but he was, a, he was a tremendous New Testament Greek scholar. And, and he made this observation once. And listen to this, guys. He says, 
Christianity transformed the lives of men not by appealing to the human will, but by the telling of a story. Not by exhortation, but by narration of an event. You see, one of the uniquenesses of Christianity is is that it doesn't, like Buddhism, for instance, who, who gives you the seven principles and very esoteric and, and very, what, 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 what Machen is saying is that the, one of the uniquenesses of Christianity is that the way it transforms lives is not through some kind of exhortation as much as it is by narration. The telling of a story. And it's in those stories where we find men being transformed. I want you to look at this story with me this morning. The one that I just read you. I mean, I didn't read all of it, but I, I, I hope you know most of it. Um, I read you most of it, and we're going to read the latter portion of it next week. But you know this, this story. If you don't know the story, let me... Let me, let me um, let me just tell you this story. Once upon a time, there was this king. And um, this king goes to bed one night, and uh, he is awakened in the midst of his sleep, not by one, but by two very upsetting dreams. I mean, have you ever dreamed like that? <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean I, that seems to happen to me twice a month. You know, something will happen, it'll be, it'll have to do with my wife or my, my kids, and it'll just jolt me out of, out of, uh, out of dead sleep. It'll so upset me. Well, that's this king. I mean, he's just snoozing away one night, not bothering a soul, and all of a sudden, as a result of not one, but two dreams, he is shaken out of his sleep. Now, because he's the king, he's got a lot of guys who work for him, whose, whose job it is, to um, interpret dreams like that. I mean, th- these guys are, these are the professional smart guys. These are the intellectual elite. They're, they're dream interpreters, Inc. Magicians, soothsayers, call them what you like. But their job was to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. So he calls them all together because he's really upset and... And after a, a few days of giving it the old college heave-ho, they came up empty. I mean, he told them the dream, and, and they, they, they gave it a whole lot of thought. Um, but but they, didn't, they, they couldn't help him. I mean, they did their best, but their best just wasn't good enough. It, you know... Um, the best that that kingdom had to offer came up empty. I mean, um, they, they, they were at the dead end. And, and all of their, their wisdom, they had nothing. Now, it's not that they didn't say anything. Oh, I'll win. No, they... They, they, they said something, uh, you know, uh, I mean, they, they said perhaps something like this. They said, oh, king, 
seven daughters you will beget and seven daughters you will bury. Now that sounds rather poetic, and but it, the problem is it just wasn't the truth. Um, now, now the king was um, was none too happy about the, the the cluelessness of these smart guys, and um, and the king was given some thought to what he was going to do to these smart guys because they because they couldn't come up with the interpretation for his dream. But very frankly, he was pretty consumed with those blasted dreams. And so he, he really couldn't give much thought to what he was going to do to those dreams. But, but as soon as he got this dream thing taken care of, he's going, to, he's, going to, he's going to deal with them. And about that time, one of the kitchen help approached the king and said, King, I, I, you know, I, uh, I realize that I made a mistake, but this whole situation that we got here, uh, this has reminded me of something that happened to me a couple of years back when I was in prison. You know, back when I was in, you remember that, <laughs> Mr. King? Um, I mean, that's what Pharaoh means, by the way. I mean, Pharaoh, King, same thing. And he says, um, you know, there was a guy down in the prison with me when I was, when I was down there. And, you know, I had a dream. And my good friend Baker, he had a dream too. And... Um, and we told this guy, his name's Joseph, and, and we told this guy our dreams, and, and he interpreted our dreams, and guess what? Exactly what he said came to pass. So Pharaoh says, really? Really? He says, well, get him, get him up here. Get him up here. Go get him. So, of course, I mean, they race down to the dungeon, and they... They get this guy by the name of Joseph and they bring him up. They, you know, they clean him up a little bit and they put on a few nicer clothes. And, and, uh, as soon as he gets cleaned up, he comes in to the king to meet with the king over this little dream problem. And sure enough, this Joseph guy, not only did he interpret the dreams, telling this king both the good and the bad, but he also went on to map out a strategy as to how this crisis might be managed. And the whole time he was doing it, he was, he was referring to God. I mean, four or five times, he, he's referring to God. Well, what he said is something like this. He said, O king, live forever. They all said that. O king, in light of our present crisis, here's what you should do. He laid out a plan. And they came to find out later on that it's kind of interesting, really, that um, it was dreams that had gotten this guy, Joseph, into such trouble earlier on in his life. Huh. Kind of interesting, don't you think? Well, anyway, um, the king was downright wowed. I mean, he was so impressed with how quickly this Joseph guy had, had made sense out of all this dream problem. And not only had he done that, but he'd really handled himself very honorably and, 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 and wisely. And, and, and in mapping out all this strategy and, and telling the king how it, this crisis needs to be averted and 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 how they can be managed and handled. And so the king was so impressed with that. 
that the king says, oh my goodness, I mean, this is one impressive dude here. So here's what I'm doing. I'm going to seat him at the right hand of my throne, which everybody knows is the seat of national authority. I'm going to seat him at my right hand, and I'm going to give him all kinds of new clothes and a new robe. And by the way, they also had heard that he had had a robe before, but he somehow he lost that robe that he had. But he got a new one. <laughs> he got a new robe, and um, and he sat at the right hand of the um, of the king, and the king... Uh, said to everybody in his court, this guy is the guy that you're supposed to go to for everything. Uh, there's only one guy that's going to be bigger than him, and it's going to be me. But when nobody is to lift up their hand or do anything unless they consult with this guy. This is the dude. I want all my subjects to bow and, and, and uh, yield and submit to this guy. And, and, and by the way, oh, dutiful subjects, I'm not asking you whether you want to yield to this guy. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. That you're going to, I mean, you're going to yield to this guy. And, and so interestingly, all this happened in one day. That is, he, he, he started his morning in prison, and by the end of that, that 24-hour period, that 12-hour period, he's on a throne. I mean, this guy, Joseph, goes from a place of shame and exchanged that place of shame for a place of dignity and honor, and it all happened in one day. And, and I don't know whether you saw this also about this story. Very interesting. But as the story's tailing off, the king gives to this Joseph guy a bride. Do you see that? Gives him a bride. How about that? Now, I believe every word of that. Do you? You believe that story? Because do you realize? Do you realize what you believe if you believe that story? Well, let me tell you just a few of the things that you believe if you believe that story. First of all, you believe that God, um, that God predicts the future because God controls the future. That's something you believe. That is, if you believe this story. You believe that God, I mean, only one who controls the future could predict the future. And you believe that God controls the future because he's able to accurately predict the future. Here's, a, here's another thing that you believe. You also believe that God has access to the dream life of men. How about that? But let me tell you something else you believe. Huge. You believe that weather is one of the servants of God. <laughs> yeah. You believe that weather does 
just what God tells it to do exactly when God tells it to do it. Seven years of this and seven years of that. You also believe that God is intimately involved in the affairs of men. Hmm. Let me tell you something else you believe. That is if you believe the story. You believe that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Because that's what you see happening to Joseph, folks. All of that, all of that is in this story. So again, here's my point. This is not just a story. You know, um, I'm afraid that the, the Christian community, because we had been taught these things early on, and Joseph and his coat, yada, 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 and the cows and the grain and the famine, and, and they're nice little Bible stories. But ladies and gentlemen, these, these stories that we say we believe are packed, packed with import, with truth, with principle. And here's what we're supposed to do. You see, they're not just stories. These are not just stories, ladies and gentlemen. What we're supposed to do is take these stories and superimpose them on our lives. And then we're supposed to say, hmm, I wonder how the, 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 the points in this story intersect with my life. Well, you know, um, it has been a pretty lean couple of years for us financially. You know, um, I never saw that divorce coming on. or You know, I, I, I had no idea that my kids could be this demanding and, and hurtful and, and cause this much pain. I wonder what that story has to do. I wonder what this story has to do with any of that. Gang, go, go back just real, one more time to the story. What if you were one of the subjects of the king here? That is, you're one of subjects, one of Pharaoh's subjects. Or maybe you might even be one of those professional smart guys. And, and you heard that this prisoner by the name of Joseph, he now sits at the right hand of Pharaoh, which is really where you wanted to sit. And um, and now you're supposed to yield to him and you're supposed to uh, submit to him. And, 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 and uh, you know, you're supposed to obey him. This, this, this former convict. Now, how do you react to all that? Well, you could say this. You could say, um, well, I think he's a buffoon, and I ain't submitting to him. Well, sorry, good buddy, but you're either going to starve or you're going to be beheaded. Or you could respond something like this. You could say, oh, my goodness, how great is it that there is somebody who could tell us what was coming and help us to prepare for it. Boy, how, how sweet is that? Can't wait to meet that guy. 
Could I tell you just one more story that I believe? Just one more. Here's the story. I believe that God has spoken in this book in such fullness and in such clarity. And inside this book, he is telling men what's coming and how to prepare for it. And you know what? The great majority of mankind hasn't got a clue. (laughs) Um, We're watching currently, ladies and gentlemen, a culture that is clueless as to how to fix itself. And yet they are at the same time frenzied about getting fixed. It is absolutely mind-boggling. The extremes to which people are going to, to try and unravel the mess in their lives. None of it's working. There's a statement that Jeremiah, one of the authors of a book in here, Jeremiah makes in um, chapter 46. And he says, in vain you have used many medicines. There is no healing for you. In vain, you have used many medicines. You've tried a lot. I mean, you dabble in this and you dabble in that. and You've tried it all. But it ain't ain't solving a thing. The days of plenty and the days of famine, they're all outlined in this book. It's all in here. And yet men today either reject that as, as, as utter foolishness, or, or they, are, they are discovering just how completely powerless they are of sorting it all out and making any sense out of it. Either they just throw it away or they look at it and wonder, well, you know, what is this all supposed to mean? Which is the way it's always been. And so God in his great mercy and kindness a couple of thousand years ago sent us his... He sent us the one that seated, was seated at the right hand of God. The one who was in the position of cosmic authority. He sent him so that he could flesh out all that he meant and all that he was like and all that he intended and all that he loved and all that he hated and all that he meant. He, he sent him so that we could see in flesh and blood what God really wanted. But the majority of the folks were, were pretty unimpressed, nonplussed. And so they went on to crucify him. But lo and behold, he rises from the dead. And he appears in several different venues in front of several hundred people. And after he had completed that great work that his father sent him to accomplish, the father seated him at the right hand of himself in the position of cosmic authority. And he says to the entire world, Yield to him. In 
fact, Jesus, before he was seated, made a statement like this. He, his statement was, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. And you know what's interesting about that, ladies and gentlemen? It's not an invitation. No, no, no. God doesn't invite you. He's never invited. He commands you. He commands you to yield to this guy. And then, very interestingly, at least for me, after Jesus had sat down, you know what God did? He gave him a bride. Just like Joseph. He gave him a bride, the the church, of which I am a part. You believe all that? Let me tell you what you believe if you believe all that. First of all, you believe that your entire eternity depends on things that were done for you by somebody else. That is, that you had no merit, you had no goodness, that your whole eternity is based on something that someone else did for you in your place. The second thing you believe is that there is a life after this one. third thing, there's more than three, but the third thing that you believe is that God could find no other way to save you. And so in an act that stunned heaven, he punished himself. Is that what you believe? How about this? In response to that, what what is going to be your response to all of that? Well, (laughs) I'm not yielding to all that. I'm not yielding to, to, to all that foolishness. Okay. I don't believe all that. Fine. Or... Your response could be something like this. It could be, oh my goodness, how good is God? How good is this God of ours who, knowing my cluelessness, knowing my helplessness, who provided in Christ for all of my spiritual needs and then gives me the privilege of yielding to someone as great and as good and as kind and as merciful as that master is. Boy, what a story. What a message. What a gospel. And it's in that story, ladies and gentlemen, where lives are utterly transformed. Do you believe that? 
let us do. Our Father, I do pray that you might show your people today the beauty and the the wonder of this story. Uh, The one in Genesis 41 and the one it points to in the New Testament. And I pray, O God, that you will use stories to capture our imagination in such a way that uh, the, the thrill of the wonder of the story will overtake us and drive us to the place where we find yielding to Jesus our absolute delight. Father, if you've led people here today who have not yet seen the beauty of this story, I pray that you'll open their eyes so that they can see something they've never seen before, like you did mine some 30 years ago, and like you did so many other sets of eyes in this room. And I pray that you'll use the simplicity and the beauty of stories to show us what you're up to, to show us what you're like, to show us what you love, to show us what you hate, to show us what to do. Would you do that, Father? For Jesus' sake.